Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, found on page 976 of your pew Bible. First, let us approach God in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have, by your grace, commanded us to be here for your worship. We thank you for your grace and marvelously preserving your word for us, inerrant, infallible, and breathed out by you. We thank you for your grace that you may send your spirit to us today, that the word you have for us may be made clear to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The word of God for the people of God. When I was um, in college, I worked as a youth director at a Methodist church uh, in Southside, Alabama, and um, excellent pastor, loving church, Uh, and one of the things I remember is, I, I don't remember if it was this passage, but it was one of the passages where Paul refers to predestination. And uh, it was a very helpful statement for uh, him uh, to, to say, as he said, here's predestination. Every Bible-believing Christian believes in predestination. And it is true because a lot of times people say, do you believe in predestination? And anyone who believes the Bible um, as, is truly God's word has to believe predestination. Now, we disagree and have different understandings of how that predestination works, but we need to figure out what the predestination is and come to an understanding of that rather than saying we're going to discard a Bible word or or say it's something not believed in. And so even those who would disagree with us do believe in predestination um, just in a different way. So... Uh, I thought that was a very helpful thing because it is a scriptural word, not just here, but elsewhere. We, we find the word, and 
so the idea of, of predestinating is not something that's imported into Scripture. It's not something that some kind of logical rationale is, brings to it. It is a biblical word, and it's not an issue of a translation. Uh, the word itself, uh, to quote the definitive uh, biblical Greek lexicon, simply means to decide beforehand, to predetermine. So, I don't think I would have as much attention if I, was, uh, if I said I was going to talk about sex or something. So, I, that is a great lead-in. We're going to talk about predestination. Um, now, we're, here's the thing I've discovered. When we talk about predestination, it is connected to so many questions. Does that mean we're all robots? Why does he do this? Is that, and there's all these things. And so what I want to say is, let's follow the text. And it's not saying everything there is to say about the subject. We're just going to see what two um, verses in Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so if there are other questions that come up, if there's things of, you know, whatabouts that, that I, I would love to talk to you about it, love to get together afterwards, just realize this isn't everything. We're just looking at this, and really it's kind of the... Uh, we saw last week how God's blessings on us, the, the gifts that Ashley was talking about, these blessings that are poured out on us are based in his choosing us to be his saints, holy and blameless, to be his people. And so now we're stepping back and we're seeing um, the, the kind of the, 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 the foundation of that choice. Uh, as he chose us in, before the foundation of the world, now we're stepping back and we're seeing he predestined us for adoption. Uh, to be, we predestined us to become sons and daughters um, so that his grace will be praised. His glory will be praised. So he predestined. Um, you know, when, I, when I, I struggled with how does the Bible present this? What, what, there's, and, and as I wrestled with this, it was really as I was working through the the images, um, the the metaphors that the Scripture give us, um, that talk about our salvation, that it really began to solidify. Uh, there, there was lots of things that, that went into kind of studying this, but but have you have you noticed how all of the the terms that talk about our salvation in those they they highlight God's initiative and God's action. And our complete inability. For example, uh, we are told we must be born again. And can y'all remember making the decision to be born that first time? Can, can y'all remember all the effort that went into choosing who you would be born to? No, it, it was something that just happened. We, we were born. Um, I mean, it, it was something we weren't involved in. We, we, were, we were born. Others made the choice. It was others' will. It was others' love that gave birth to us. Uh, one other one is that we are now, um, we who were dead in our trespasses have been made alive. Um, dead people don't have a lot of choices to make. Be, being dead is not being injured, and if I work a little bit harder, I'll get better. Dead means I'm incapable and so life has to come. And then here, 
that we were predestined to adoption. You know, people adopt children. Children don't come and, and make an application, you know, put in a, a CV to parents. It's the parents who adopt their choice. And so it is a wonderful gift that is given by someone else. And so if we see all of these things, we see God's choice, God's predestination, God's initiative behind all of these things. But if you just think of it rationally, could it have been any other way? Could our salvation um, be anything other than God beforehand? Because God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and God, by who he is in eternity, is outside of time. God is not responding to us in time. God, who knows all things before it even came into being, knows. God's foreknowledge and, and his choosing us and his initiative in our salvation must be if he truly knows all things and exists before all things. And so all of this, you know, I think there's a tendency we can say, okay, that, that gets into weird stuff. It's really mind-bending. It's a lot of speculation. I, I think there can be a tendency for us to take it and make it abstract, uh, to let those questions come in. Times can make God appear aloof or cold or even arbitrary. But notice the text, what Paul is saying, that this isn't any of those things. It isn't something abstract. It's in love. It's God's love expressed to us. In love, he predestined us. He chose us in him um, in the beloved. He blessed us in the beloved. It's, it's a combination of God's love, the Father for the Son, and it's based on his love for the Son, as well as the unearned love for us that he this should lead us rather to speculation and argument to more of praise and glory and celebration and experiencing that he loved us. And even what he loved us to was to adoption, to make us in a relationship with him that is a, that is a relationship of love. So it's not... It's not a mastermind playing with puppets. It's not a, someone on the chessboard. It's parents bringing a child into their home and saying, you're mine. That's the love that we see expressed in this. So it is um, to adoption. Um, now, the first thing I want to say about that is, I mean, it's obvious that adoption is making by law um, what is a, normally a relationship by nature. It's no less of a relationship, but it, it, it is something that is done for someone who is not your natural child. And so adoption is, um, points us to one thing, is that by nature, we're not God's children. There, there's a tendency for us to just kind of say, well, everyone is God's child. Well, there's one sense God created everyone, and so we're all created by God, and we're all created in God's image and therefore worthy of dignity, and his love is shown on all people. And yet, God's adopting us, meaning there's a new relationship that isn't there before. Later on, Paul will say we are by nature children of wrath. Our, our natural um, relationship is not as to a a child to a father, but our natural relationship is as rebels. 
running away from him, hating him. We are under his condemnation. And so this natural relationship is one of being against God, not, not being in this relationship with him is why we need to be adopted. Now, anytime I talk about us being rebels, anytime I talk about sin and, and being running from God and our hostility to God, I'm afraid you get the image of someone really violent and malicious. No, no, no. You can be a very nice and polite, upstanding rebel. You know, you, you can be someone who just kind of, well, yes, I'm, I appreciate it. This is all well and good. Um, but then when it comes to my life, no, thank you, God. I'm going to be in control here. I'll give you some lip service, but I'm going to be the one on the throne in my own life. And I'll, I'll do it nicely, and I'm sure I'll do a good job because I don't feel guilty about that. But that's, that, that would be like going in and sitting on the throne um, and saying, I'm going to be king here. It would be going in and sitting behind the, um, the, the, resu- is it the resolute, the in the Oval Office, sitting behind the Resolute Desk and saying, you know, I agree with a whole bunch of what you've done, but there's going to be a few things I'm going to change here just for me. But, you know, and you can do it very politely, but it's rebellion that we have against God anytime we lack gratitude for the one who gave us existence. Anytime we are ignoring his glory, anytime we are disobeying what he gives us to do, Anytime we decide we want to be in control, we want the glory, and we want what's rightfully ours, we are rebelling against him. So this is what I want to highlight to understand. God's amazing love is not that he adopted good people. He adopted rebels. He died for sinners. He brings us in not just giving us amnesty, But those who have rejected him, he brings in and says, you're family. You're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. One of my commentators uh, I read for this said, Adopted children have their position by grace and not by right, and yet are brought into the family on the same footing as children by birth. That's a a great way to put it. You're, You're at the same status with the father as the son is not because you deserve it, not because of your nature, but because of his grace. That should be something just to pause and think about for a minute, that he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus. And our adoptive families testify to the gospel with their very lives of bringing one in and showing love to um, and making them their children. Amazing to consider our relationship with God is now we can call him father. Not because everybody has the right to call him father, but because he said, you're my daughter, you're my son. And so um, any awkwardness should be gone. I mean, I I was thinking about um, Prince Philip's funeral. And some people were talking about, wouldn't, wouldn't it be really weird to be the person singing for that funeral, singing for the queen or, or the piper, the, the amount of pressure and the amount of stress? And, and everyone there, there had to have been all these like categories that if, if you're of this certain royalty, you sit here and you follow in line in the procession at this part. If you're, you know, who does what and all these things. So that, you know, if you were to meet the queen, can you imagine how 
awkward it would be to make sure, did I bend right? Did I bend too, not far enough? Did I do all these things wrong? Because there's a sense of that glory overwhelms us. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to meet a celebrity you thought a lot of, but let me tell you, you say a bunch of dumb stuff and get nervous. Um, it's kind of awkward. Um, I'll tell you the story later. There's another awkwardness. Can you imagine the awkwardness of when you've done something wrong to somebody and you feel really weird and you've got to be around them again and how just kind of, you know, how's this going to be? God doesn't say, make sure you get all of the etiquette right. God doesn't say, I'm going to make sure you never forget that sin. God says, I'm your father. I love you. Your relationship with me should be more comfortable than any other relationship because I love you, and I know you better than yourself, and I love you in spite of it. God's love for us is a father who has chosen us. So the, 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 he's predestined us for adoption. Now, what's the basis of that? What's the, the purpose? I mean, what's the, the basis, um, the, found, the reasoning behind it? If adoption is the goal, the, the, the reason behind the purpose is the purpose of his will. That's what it says. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That means it's not random. It's, it's mystery, but it's not capricious. It's, it's something we don't understand, but it's not arbitrary. It is based in God's will, which also means it's based in nothing outside of God. There's nothing outside of God that is leading his will. God's will is his own, and he does what he wills. And so, as John said, we're born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's not based on our will. It's not based on our effort. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our choice. It's not based on for, um, foreseeing our faithful response. It's not based on our perseverance. It's not based on us continuing to do what's in the faith. There, there's nothing we can say in me that I was a little bit better than those who don't. I was a little bit smarter than someone who didn't. I had more spiritual insight and maturity. None of that is based solely in God's will. And that is really good news. So that does raise questions, and it helps us kind of think about things. So some might say, all right, if you believe God chooses, why bother going out and sharing the gospel with anyone? Why, why not just sit here and wait for his elect to come in the doors? Um, well, I would say because we know he has other adopted sons and daughters out there, we know we have others, then he is going to bring them to himself through the gospel. In other words, knowing that he is at work should impel us to share with others because we know he is effective. He will bring them in. It shouldn't restrain us from sharing the good news. It should um, give us the, the power to know when I share the good news, it is not up to me. I mean, my, my ministry is testimony that anything is God's power and not the ability or eloquence of me. And so it's not up to you to argue it right. It's not up to you to 
um, make sure you get the wording just perfect and that you hit the right emotion. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And because of that, if you're scared, you can share and you can trust that God is the one doing the work. What about assurance? Don't we have to worry if we really are um, among those he chose? Doesn't this take away and make us, no, no. It, it is the, it's the foundation of how you know that you are a child of God. You, you don't wait around and say, am, am I elect? You don't, what you do is you trust Jesus. You believe in him. You, you trust in Jesus. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you know it's his work and not your own. I've had, over the years, many, many come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm worried. Um, I, I was saved. I got saved, but I don't think I understood it right. I don't think I said the prayer right. I don't think I was baptized in the right way. You see, if, if salvation is based on our choice, our decision, the things we do, our baptism being right, or any of those things, we're constantly be worried because anything based on me is bound to fail and it, it, it's tottering. But if it's based on God and his will, nothing can change that. If you are trusting in Jesus, you know that he who began the good work in you will see it to completion. If it's based on him rather than us, that is the firm foundation we can stand. So does it lead to spiritual elitism and to arrogance to those who are thinking we're we're those God loves, and not if you understand it correctly. Because if, again, if I can point and say, well, I was a little bit smarter than somebody else, or I was fortunate enough to, to keep pursuing a little bit more than some of my friends, or I was a little bit better person, or I was going to have more endurance than somebody else in the faith. If I can look at to any of those, that's when I can say we're a little bit better than those. We know a little bit more. We have the true understanding. But if you understand, the choice was nothing in us, but only in God's will. That should be incredibly humbling. Because then we see we're only here by God's grace, not God's grace plus my insight, God's grace plus my endurance, or God's grace plus my choice. We're only here completely by God's mercy and grace, which also leads us to the well, is that not fair? You got me on that one. It is not fair. It is not at all fair. Because fair would be us all condemned. Fair would be me paying for my sins. Fair would be the wrath of God poured out on a sinner. Thankfully, he's not fair. God would be completely just to have punished every rebel, everyone who sins to get the full weight of the punishment of that sin. God is under no obligation to rescue those who have turned away from him. Those who we have wrecked this world, God owes us nothing but judgment. And that's why it's mercy because it's not deserved. That's why it's grace, because it's freely given. It's not coerced. It's not owed. It's not required. I think we have gotten so numb to the idea that God is loving and merciful and forgiving that we think he's somehow compelled to be that way. 
I think we forget that God's grace is so amazing and astounding that we think he owes it to me to forgive me my sins. But if it's owed, it's not grace. And if it's owed, there would be nothing for us to praise God for because he's only doing what something else demands that he do. God's grace is glorious, and that's why we praise it. All of this is done not only to bring us to adoption, but also to the praise of his glorious grace. And when we see the staggering wonder that God, who owes you nothing but hell, says, no, you're going to be my daughter, you're going to be my son, and you're going to be brought in to my family forever. When that staggering wonder hits us, we want to sing. And we sing about amazing grace. We, we don't sing about well-earned grace or merited mercy. We sing about grace that had nothing to do with us. Because if I could sing God's wonderful grace plus my faithfulness, God's wonderful grace plus my spiritual wisdom, God's wonderful grace plus my ability to see that I need to choose him. If we do that, then I have to sing of God's grace plus those things. And in doing so, I seek to steal God's glory because we are saved from first to last solely by God's free, uncoerced, unconditional, unmerited, undeserved grace. And we sing of God's glorious grace alone.